This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We'll be joined a little bit later by an old friend of ours and someone well-known to the KDVS listenership. It's the former general manager and host of the popular and long-running Stop Making Sense public affairs program, which you heard on on our lineup here on 90.3. I'm speaking, of course, about uh, Stephen Valentino, who has left the environs of UC Davis to travel to the Big Apple of Manhattan, where he now is employed by the Sirius Satellite Radio Company. I'm quite certain we can count on Stephen for some interesting insights as to what life is like on the East Coast. Stay tuned for that in segment three. In our second segment today, we're going to speak again with Jennifer Davidson, our environmental correspondent. Jennifer also writes for the Sacramento News and Review, and we're going to talk to her today about some startling things she's discovered about the pachyderms which you find in the circus, i.e. elephants and their mistreatment. Again, that'll be in our second segment today. But let us begin the show as we like to do with On This Date in History. On this date in history, which is October 11th in 1899, the South African Boer War began between the British Empire and the Boers of the Transvaal and Orange Free State. In the language of the Afrikaner, Boer means farmer, and that's what these people primarily were. When the British assumed control of Cape Province, these people who found the British ways of thinking a little bit too liberal for their liking, being of a Christian fundamentalist bent, they basically loaded up wagons, much like in our Old West, and moved inland. Unfortunately, the land they moved into was soon found to be rife with both gold and diamonds, which caused the British to come after them. The Afrikaners may have lost the war, but within five decades they assumed complete control over the South African government and instituted the policy in 1948 known as apartheid. On this date in 1954, the Viet Minh occupied Hanoi and took control of North Vietnam after a nine-year guerrilla war against French colonial forces. Seven years later on this date, October 11, 1961, at a meeting of the U.S. National Security Council, President John F. Kennedy was told that 40,000 U.S. troops would defeat the Viet Cong in South Vietnam and that another 120,000 could deflect intervention by the North Vietnamese or Chinese. To his credit, JFK did not believe this, having realized he'd been misled by his intelligence organizations and Pentagon. And, uh, of course, as, the, as events would later prove, uh, his skepticism was well-founded. After his assassination, Lyndon Baines Johnson would send 500,000 Americans to South Vietnam, and they were unable to pacify the countryside. And speaking of spectacularly bad intelligence, on this same date in 1995, a report to the UN Security Council estimated that Saddam Hussein had enough chemical and biological weapons to destroy the population of the world several times over. We now know that those two weapons of mass destruction, along with nuclear weapons, were conspicuously absent from the countryside following the U.S. invasion in 2003. And 40 years ago yesterday, the Outer Space Treaty took effect. It was ratified by the United States and the Soviet Union, along with other countries, and it prohibited nuclear weapons in space. You may not have noticed this, but in the last few years, the Bush administration has moved away from this rather sensible notion that nuclear weapons in space is a bad idea. 
And speaking of space, we have some follow-up to report on our interview last week with Matthew Brzezinski, the author of Red Moon Rising, but we'll, we'll save that for a moment. We'll instead cite our quote of the day, which comes from Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali, who once said, The law locks up both man and woman who steals the goose off the common, but lets the great felon loose who steals the common from the goose. Yes, as we all, well, perhaps some of you don't know, Muhammad Ali liked to dabble in poetry, and he had a certain flair for it. Our quip of the day comes from another poet, Kimberly Johnson, who said, Never ruin an apology with an excuse. Our statistic of the day comes from the Sacramento Bee. We've been sitting on this one for a while. It was actually from the August 22nd Bee. It noted that a fourth of adults in America don't read books. Radio Parallax has noted that a half of Americans don't vote, and of the half that do, barely a half, or approximately half, voted for George Bush in 2004, which means that only one-fourth of Americans voted for George Bush. Now, one-fourth of Americans don't read, one-fourth of Americans voted for George Bush. We're not able to confirm they're the same one-fourth of Americans, but we have our suspicions. Our joke of the day was sent to us by listener Paul, which is as follows. What do you call a person who speaks many languages? That would be a polyglot. What do you call people who speak two languages? Why, that would be bilingual. What do you call someone who speaks only one language? That would be an American. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this week for the power of positive thinking after Zorina Knopp, 63, of California, won $60 million in the lottery. She attributed the win both to the blue dot, a supposedly lucky blue dot on a piece of paper that she purchased through an ad in the National Enquirer, and to reading The Secret, a best-selling book that advises visualizing success. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for The Pierced, after a Welsh art student was nearly killed by the stud in her belly button. During a car accident, Jessica Collins was thrown forward against her seatbelt, which pulled the stud back through her stomach nearly to her spine. The doctor described it like a bullet hole, said Jessica's stepfather. And finally, it was an ugly week this week for Cocoa Pops. After the Bermudan health minister, Jennifer Atreid Sterling, explained that the nation's fourth place showing in the worldwide obesity rankings was a function of her countrymen's fondness for the sugary breakfast cereal. And, and I did not know this, but according to the health minister, many people have a massive bowl of Cocoa Pops for breakfast every day. The reason they buy that might be because it's two for the price of one. Well, now, who knew that the people in Bermuda were cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs?
And from the Only in America file, we have the following. The entire city council of Ashland, Oregon, has decided to enter relationship counseling. The catalyst was Councilman Dave Chapman's telling Councilman Eric Navakis to shut your effing mouth during last week's meeting. Although Navakis had previously called the city's mayor a Nazi, and tensions have generally been running high, taxpayers will now pay $37,000 for the council's five months of therapy. Which may seem like a lot of money, said City Administrator Martha Bennett, but if the council doesn't function, the city doesn't function. Well, we at Radio Parallax are decidedly unsure that that's the case and would like to refer you to the current edition of the Midtown Monthly for an article by one of KDVS's own DJs. That would be Scott Soriano. An article is titled, The Dog That Won't Roll Over, Part 1. Scott talks about the K Street Mall which as part of an urban renewal program, that which is a scary phrase, in the 1960s, uh, the street went from being a two-way auto-friendly avenue, which served the heart of the city, to a pedestrian mall with interesting cement landscape architecture. I'm sure many of our older listeners will recall this uh, striking architecture, which was described as tank traps. To quote to Scott, a series of fountains, pillars, and banked ramps K Street looked like a low-budget sci-fi skateboard park, which in the early 80s it unofficially became. Noting that on random weekday nights, Sacramento skaters, including legendary Sam Cunningham, Ricky Windsor, and Randy Catan, would hit K Street and ride the banks and berms. Those who claim Sacramento as the birthplace of street skating can point to the K Street Mall as its maternity ward. Yes, the city fathers and mothers have been messing with K Street ever since, and they still decidedly have not gotten it right. So maybe maybe some sensitivity training and stopping the city council from operating for a few months might, might help this town. And yes, I realize we are technically a Davis radio station, but when all is said and done, I, I feel we probably have as many listeners across the causeway in Sacramento as here in Davis. And which is why when I do the station ID, I refer to us as KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. All right, and some follow-up on uh, Matthew Brzezinski's talk last week. Uh, Mr. Brzezinski was speaking last night at the Los Angeles Public Library, and uh, this correspondent took the opportunity to travel down to L.A. to hear him. I uh, thought it was well worth my while. We're going to bring Matt back on the program in a couple of weeks. And um, being the nephew of Zbigniew Brzezinski, I noticed he is rather diplomatic about some things, but when pushed a little bit, he will uh, let a few ideas out that he sort of eh, doesn't put on the front burner, let's say. But again, until I read his book, I really did not know that General Curtis LeMay would take, uh, would take a thousand U.S. bombers during war games and direct them right at the USSR which I'm sure made a lot of people nervous in the Kremlin. I mean, how would you know that it was just a war game and not the real deal? But uh, this story about the birth of the military-industrial complex and vast sums being turned over to uh, defense contractors is something that is still very much with us today. So uh, we expect to bring uh, Mr. Brzezinski back to talk about Sputnik and what has come since. In writing about last week's 50th anniversary of Sputnik, Mark Carell, writing in the Houston Chronicle, said, Humanity should be grateful. More than 850 of Sputnik's mechanical descendants are currently circling the Earth. 
They help us communicate, navigate, and continue our investigation of the universe we live in. That's not a bad legacy for an ugly, beeping aluminum sphere the size of a basketball. And what is surely a rather bizarre uh, sidelight story to the issue of uh, having satellites orbiting the Earth is this item. The United States Navy plans to spend $680,000 to camouflage a California barracks after aerial photos revealed that it's, from the air anyway, shaped like a swastika. Now, Navy officials have long known about this shape of the building, which was completed in 1967, but figured few people were going to notice because civilian planes are barred from flying directly over the base. But uh, thanks to uh, websites like Google Earth, the building is now visible to anybody with a computer. The Navy says it will alter the building's roof and landscaping to disguise its shape, to which I have to ask, is this really necessary? You could do a lot of good in this world with $680,000 besides disguising the shape of a naval building. And speaking of space, we like this. Uh, we, we like Marilyn Vos Savant, reputedly the world's smartest woman. We like her column that appears in Parade Magazine, and that's why we're quoting from it again this week. She was asked a few weeks back, Days are based on the time it takes for the Earth to spin on its axis. Months correspond to the phases of the moon. And years refer to our planet revolving around the sun. But what scientific basis is there for a week, which is a concept common among different religions? Marilyn replied that weeks have no astronomical basis, which is not strictly speaking true, because one week represents the time it takes for the moon to go between phases. In other words, from a new moon to a quarter moon, from a quarter moon to a full moon, etc., she went on to note that many people assume that they originated with the Bible, but evidence shows the ancient Babylonians and Sumerians had established weeks of seven days and earmarked one day for recreation long before the Bible was written. And, and by the way, the story of Noah and the flood actually predates the Bible. It goes back to a, a Babylonian um, legend of Gilgamesh, which is something we need to talk with uh, some sort of scholar on that topic. Because in this program, we've always been fascinated by, uh, by the true debt that civilization owes to the cradle, what's called the cradle of civilization, uh, Mesopotamia, or what is today, Iraq. And speaking of Iraq, we don't get a chance to quote from uh, Swiss publications very often, but apparently the Switzerland's Le Temps, in an editorial late last month, asked the question, has the U.S. Congress no authority left at all? They noted that voters nine months ago gave Democrats control of both houses of Congress with an obvious mandate to bring the boys home from Iraq. Yet, they still haven't set a deadline to pull out the troops. Instead, at last week's event, this is in writing in last, late September in Washington, the feckless Democrats continued to allow the unelected military to set the terms of a debate on whether a paltry increase of 30,000 extra troops has been a success. The sight of so many lawmakers showing excessive deference to these sparkly medals on General Petraeus's chest was discouraging to say the least. Noted the paper, it's as if American democratic institutions have admitted their incompetence or irrelevance. In a similar vein, Helen Thompson, the dean of uh, the White House Press Corps, writes for the Hearst newspapers, wrote an editorial last month which noted the following. President Bush has no better friends than the spineless democratic congressional leadership and the party's leading presidential candidates when it comes to his failing Iraq policy. Those Democrats seem to have forgotten that the American people want U.S. troops out of Iraq, 
especially since Bush still cannot give a credible reason for attacking Iraq nearly five years ago. Last week at a debate in Hanover, New Hampshire, the leading Democratic presidential candidates sang from the same songbook. Senators Hillary Clinton of New York and Barack Obama of Illinois and former North Carolina Senator John Edwards refused to promise to withdraw U.S. troops from Iraq by 2013. Asked Thomas, can you believe it? When a question was put to Clinton, she reverted to her usual cautious equivocation, saying, it is very difficult to know what we're going to be inheriting. Obama dodged, too. I think it would be irresponsible to say what he would do as president. Edwards, on whom hopes were writing to show some independence, replied to the question, I cannot make that commitment. Further down the article, Helen Thomas noted that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is another Democratic leader who has empowered Bush's war. Pelosi removed a provision from the most recent war funding bill that would have required Bush to seek the permission of Congress before launching any attack on Iran. Her spokesman gave the lame excuse that she didn't like the wording on the provision. More likely, she bowed to political pressure. Isn't any wonder, asked Helen Thomas, that the Democrats are faring lower than the president in the Washington Post-ABC approval poll? Bush came in at 33 percent. Congress, 29 percent. And we need to talk about Blackwater, but you know what? Uh, not, not in this segment. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. Although, wait, I've got one science item I'd like to end this, this uh, first segment with, which I find very intriguing, and, and hopefully you will too. In a survey of 1,041 young people, researcher George Gallup of the State University of New York found that both men and women deemed that initial smooch to be a predictor of compatibility. The study noted that there's something in a couple's first kiss that can make or break their relationship. But it did note that the sexes were looking for different things. While women tended to judge the kiss in terms of the emotional connection, men viewed it as a precursor to sex, looking for evidence of passion. Yeah, I have to inject at this point. I forget who said this, but uh, it, was, it was some female comedian who noted that uh, women need a reason to have sex, whereas men just need a place. But, curiously, a majority of both sexes said that first kiss had been the basis for the decisions whether to pursue relationships or to hang them up. Gallup told New Scientist magazine, the complicated exchange of information that occurs during a kiss may inform us via evolved unconscious mechanisms about instances of possible genetic incompatibility. Well, we're not sure about the genetic incompatibility part, but, you know, it certainly, uh, certainly tells you a lot about, you know, What's going to float your boat? Let's take that short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We'll come back and speak with our environmental correspondent, Jennifer Davidson. Stay tuned. And don't forget our third segment, where the wayward Stephen Valentino returns to his home base here at KDVS. <laughs> 